Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And our guest this week, one week away from the NFL Draft, will be none other than the new host of the NFL Draft on ESPN, television anchor, television show host, radio show host for ESPN and ABC, not to mention a novelist, the new host of the NFL Draft, my colleague, my friend, Mike Greenberg. And there already has been a lot of draft conversation And it's only going to ramp up in the coming days leading up to the draft that will be held in Cleveland next week. The NFL will be back on site one year after the virtual draft that unfolded in the most unlikely circumstances at such a difficult time in our country's history. And the draft this year is going to be great. Again, there'll be people in Cleveland. There'll be players in Cleveland. Our set, the ESPN set, will be in Cleveland. And I can tell you that the set feeds off the energy as it did when we were in Nashville last and Dallas, Texas and Philadelphia and Chicago and New York and all the places we've been where there's been real live interaction. This is going to be my first work trip since the combine of 2020 fired up to be with everybody there on site and fired up to see where all the quarterbacks go to see any teams that move up in the draft, to see any teams that move back in the draft. And my understanding is that Carolina at number eight is open to moving back in this draft. But again, at this point of the year, a week out of the draft, there are a lot of conversations occurring between a lot of teams. And much of it doesn't take shape and focus until the day of or even the night of the draft when we see who is and isn't available while a team is on the clock. Here's somebody who's off the clock, the former NFL quarterback, Alex Smith. What an incredible career. What a remarkable journey. He leaves the game as the reigning NFL comeback player of the year, which is fitting for the way that he handled himself coming back from an injury that required 17 surgeries on his leg. And not only was career threatening, but it was life-threatening. And yet he managed not only to come back, but to play, to lead Washington, the playoffs, to cap what has really been an incredible career. And think about this. Alex Smith was the number one overall pick in the 2005 draft that I remember very well. It was a draft that many people thought Aaron Rodgers would be the number one overall pick. And then somewhere along the way, as it sometimes happens, About a week out of the NFL draft, the 49ers thinking changed. And somehow they shifted from Aaron Rodgers, who would have got to stay in the Bay Area where he played college football, to Alex Smith, who was a great pro, a great pro for the 49ers. And Alex Smith mentored, think about this, mentored Colin Kaepernick and then moved on to Kansas City where he mentored Patrick Mahomes for one year. And to this day, Patrick Mahomes credits Alex Smith with a lot of the growth that he had during his rookie year. And I think everybody who knows Alex Smith knows what a great coach he would be if he ever decided to go into that. But the problem is he's made well over $150 million during the course of his career. Why would you want to work coaches hours when you've got the fortune you do and the family you do? And Alex Smith deserves a happy retirement with whatever it is that he wants to do, including being a guest on the Adam Schefter podcast at some point in time, 
we hope to get him on and speak to him and get his thoughts on his future at some point. All right, before we get into today's episode with Mike Greenberg, the new ESPN NFL draft host, I have a few things I need to tell you. First off, the NFL draft, as we mentioned, is next week and ESPN's first draft podcast hosted by draft experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates have all the information you need to feel prepared for when your team makes its pick. Make sure you download and subscribe to First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Also, baseball's back and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com backslash baseball. And now, this week's guest, a novelist, a talk show host, a radio show host, and now he could add his newest title, host of the NFL Draft on ESPN, my colleague, my friend, Mike Greenberg. You are getting ready to host your first NFL Draft. What goes through your mind with the idea that such a lofty assignment is awaiting you in Cleveland, Ohio? You know, it honestly, it is, it is thrilling. And it is, um, even at this stage of my life, having done as much different stuff as I've done for as long as I have, it, you still, you get, it's hard to explain. Like I try to separate being nervous from being anxious. I think I'm a little bit of both of those things. I think I'm a little bit nervous and a little bit anxious. Here's, here's the way I view it. Uh, and especially now that I've done the work that I've done for the last six weeks, there's really two separate pieces to this. There's when you're hosting the draft, it's hosting and it's the draft. The hosting yeah. part, I feel good about. I've, I've been hosting things one way or another for a long time. So this will be new and there'll be some different mechanics, but I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to do it. Then there's the draft. And like most people, I love the draft, but I usually know about 20 of the players intimately. And this time around, because I'm doing the first three rounds, I set a goal of knowing 120 intimately. And you know, that takes a lot of work. So by the time we get there, by the time we actually sit down and start this thing, I will have not only done notes, but will have watched tape on players with the hope that no one sneaks in. But what you will know is if somewhere in round three, someone gets drafted and all I say is, Mel, you'll know <laughs> that that was one of the guys I didn't do that I didn't see coming. Well, th that's the easy bail out there, Greeny. Anytime you don't know, you just say, Mel, Todd, what do we know? Right. And what I'm hoping is that I'll know enough to at least say something, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll be able to say something. Um, so if I, if I literally know nothing, I'll just say Mel and that'll just be our little signal. You and I will know. But you don't have to say much. The draft kind of works itself out, Green. You don't have to say much. 100%. No, I, I think that what, what I know for sure is um, having been a viewer of this now, basically my entire life is that what I want is I just want someone to facilitate all of you to present as much information as is possible. Like, like the way I view this, I had a conversation with Seth Markman about this uh, at the very beginning of the process, was as the, as the viewers of this show are invested, we don't have to give them a reason to care about what's going on. They're football fans. The stake of literally every single team in the NFL rises and falls on that night. So they're in. So all I'm looking for, I don't need a reason to care about this. I'm just looking for as much information as I can get. And that means Shefty, who, what, are they, what do they do? Did they make a trade? All that kind of stuff. 
Mel, how good is this player? Lewis, is this the right fit or should they have taken the other guy? Booger, does this make them the best team in the AFC East? Those are the things, and that's all I'm doing. No one is tuning in to hear me ask questions. They're tuning in to hear the answers. And that's the biggest difference between this and hosting a talk show, which is what I usually do, um, which is that people are coming for the draft. So my goal, my plan, my job, is to just move it along as quickly as possible and let everybody hear from all the people they want to hear from. It moves along at a breakneck speed. I would venture to say you may not have covered anything or been a part of anything that moves this fast. Are you aware of that? I'm sure that's right. I mean, I, I did three NFL games many, many years ago for ESPN and, and some arena league games. And um, that was fast. And, you know, I really wasn't, and I've acknowledged this many times. I appreciate the opportunity and it was great of them to give me the chance, but I was in over my head at some point with those because there's, it's the mechanics, you know, for people who've hosted shows, like anything you do, there are certain fundamentals and you just have to learn how to do it. Um, and I hadn't done it and, 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 and it, it moved faster than I was ready for it to move. This I don't think will be the case because at the end of the day, I know exactly what's coming. I, even if I don't know which player is getting picked, I know someone's about to get picked. It's not as though someone's going to get intercepted and run back for a touchdown uh, when I'm not expecting that to come. So everything that'll happen will be something we sort of see coming, and then we will have no idea what's coming next, and that's what makes the whole thing so great. Having done NFL games for ESPN, having done your own show on the radio, having done your own show on TV, having written books, where does this assignment rank in terms of some of the others you've done and the anticipation for it? I would say right at the top, I would say the two things I've been most excited to get a chance to be a small part of um, during my now almost 25 years at ESPN would be when they sent me to the Masters in, uh, in 2019. So I just happened to be, it, was, it couldn't have been more fortunate, but I was there the year Tiger wins it. Um, and I got a chance to be a tiny, tiny little part of the coverage. And that was a thrill. And this, um, you know, and, and this I'll have a larger role in than I did in that, of course. And so this is a thrill. Look, I've been watching this all my life and it really is coming full circle for me. Shefty, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. My first assignment, literally the first thing I ever got paid to do in this industry was to cover the Bears draft in 1991. So I got up in the morning and I, that was been the whole thing was in one day. It was a Saturday. And I drove to the old Hallis Hall in Lake Forest, Illinois. And I sat there the whole day. They took Stan Thomas, the offensive tackle from Texas in the first round. They took Chris Zorich, the defensive tackle from Notre Dame in the second round. Mike Ditka came in in between the picks and, and, uh, and talked to the media. I was out of my mind. I spent the whole day there. I did all the work. I, dro I, I drove home. I, I filed all my reports. I got there at eight in the morning. I got home at midnight. I got paid $20 for the day. And in all honesty, I would have paid $20 to have the opportunity to do it. And so here we are exactly 30 years later, and I will be right in the middle of it. So it's, it's, there's a lot of symmetry and a lot of gorgeousness in it for me. Did you always love the draft growing up? Did you pay attention to the NFL draft growing up? Well, there are very few... Uh, jet fans who don't love the NFL draft, Jeff, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's pretty much our best day of the year. Uh, <laughs> there's, not, <laughs> there's not too many other things that we have to look forward to usually. Um, yes, I've always been fascinated by the draft. And there, there are so many things about it that make this so interesting. 
The biggest difference, if you look at the two drafts that we pay the most attention to, I mean, all sports have their drafts, but the NBA and the NFL are the two that I think most sports fans pay the most attention to. They couldn't be more different for two reasons. The first is the NBA, their season ends, their finals end, and a week later they have the draft. In this case, obviously, we have three months of buildup. The other is the NBA does their draft and then does free agency. In the NFL, they do their free agency and then the draft. And neither way is necessarily right or wrong or better or worse, but it is a marked difference. So I find it fascinating that teams will, will and I, I, it makes sense to be actually more this way than it does for teams to be drafting players and then figure out who they can get in free agency. It makes a lot more sense for me for these teams who have already begun to reshape their rosters and now go into the draft. That's from a fan perspective. Do you realize that the NFL players, the NFL Players Association, the last thing in the world that they want is the draft before free agency? Because if teams go out and fill their most pressing needs through the draft, right. they then would not be as apt to pay these players some of the big money contracts that they do. So if the New York Giants, for instance, were to go and have the draft in February and go draft J.C. Horn or Asante Samuel Jr. or you pick the cornerback, Patrick Sertain, they probably wouldn't have paid a Dory Jackson $13 million a year the way that they did. So there are big business decisions that are baked into this as well and why the NFL and the NFLPA likes, the NFLPA likes to have the draft when it is. And I'm sure the league and its owners would like to have the draft first, but it's not changing anytime soon. This is what we have grown up watching our entire lives. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously all the mem memories that I have, um, and interestingly, most of them are about Mel. <laughs> you know, Mel is such an institution. You know, it Mike Golick and I hosted the draft on radio for three years. And so I remember walking over, that was back when it was, one year it was at Radio City Musical. I guess it was always at Radio City, but we only did it at Radio City once. But we were walking there from the hotel and I'm walking with Mel, it was a small group. And I that was the day that I made the observation that being with Mel Kuyper on draft day is like being with Santa Claus at Christmas. Because we're just walking down the street and people are just shouting stuff at him you know, shouting, who are they going to take? Who's he? Where is he going? And he's just shouting answers back. I mean, he's so unbelievable. So I'm, I'm as much as I'm looking forward to anything, I'm just looking forward to sitting there with him for hours and watching him do this up close and personal. I have so, so much respect for Mel. He has done this at such a high level for so long. I remember growing up and wanting to stay, not wanting to, actually staying home from school when the draft used to be on a Tuesday or a Wednesday back in the day. And I would pretend I was going to school and I would stay back and I'd put on ESPN and I'd watch <laughs> Mel Kuyper and I'd watch Chris Mortensen and I'd watch Chris Berman. Did you get any advice from Chris Berman or Trey Wingo or anybody that's ever done this about their thoughts hosting the draft on ESPN, Greeny? Yes, a ton. Actually, I was really touched. The day that it was announced that I was doing this, Chris Berman texted me immediately. And I didn't expect him to do that. I mean, I, I know him a little, you know, I don't know him socially. I mean, I, you know, we worked together on some level for a very long time, but I mean, he, when I arrived, he was Chris Berman and I was not. Um, and, but he texted me immediately and we've actually exchanged a lot of notes. And the one, the, mo the most, um, 
the most interesting piece of advice that I think he gave me was, he said, I've always, this is his approach. I've approached this as an NFL show. So you've got NFL teams, you've got college players becoming NFL players. He said, I always approached it from the NFL point of view, not less from the point of view of the players who are getting picked, but from the teams who are picking them. And I think if you look back, as I've now gone back and looked at a ton of the coverage, you can really hear that. Now that I've heard him say that, you can hear it philosophically. And I think that's the right approach, you know, because the two things that are going on at the same time, you know, simultaneously, you have the power structure of literally the entire league being reshaped, while at the very same time, the wildest dreams of 32 young men and their families are coming true right before your eyes. Mm -hmm. So that you have to find this sort of balance between those two. And while there's a part of me, the journalist, you know, storyteller part of me that wants to tell the stories about the, the kids, about the players, about these young men and their families. I think the overwhelming majority of the audience is there because they're football fans and they want to know how does this affect my team, that team, other teams, et cetera. And so that's the approach that I plan to take. When he said that to me, it really crystallized in my mind. Did I hear you say that you went back and watched other drafts to see how they unfolded? How many drafts would you say you watch and how far back did you go? I, I, I watched two. I couldn't find them on YouTube or on Plus. So I, I texted Brian Ryder, who is the, the who produces the draft, and I said, can you send me? So he sent me one with Chris Berman and one with Trey Wingo. And so I, the one with Boomer, um, it was in Chicago. It was um, 15 or 16. I forget which one it was, but it was one of the last yeah. ones he did. And the one with Trey that I watched was the one in Nashville. And that was insane. That was the Kyler Murray went first, Nick Bosa went second, that draft. But the scene was oh unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and I was there for that doing get up from Nashville, but I wasn't there at the draft. I was watching back in the hotel. Um, but I had forgotten just because you don't remember everything, just how insane it was. The, the, the line of people going down Broadway in Nashville seemed never to end. I mean, there, there, there were literally hundreds of thousands of people that were there. That was insane. But I wasn't watching for that, of course. I was watching for just the mechanics of how it works. Yeah. And, and now, at the risk of getting too technical, like, I really wanted to get a feel for the pick is made, the player, you know, we, we show the guy hugging his family, his mother, his whatever, he gets his hat. How do the mechanics work? How long did Trey wait until he started talking? What exactly did he say? How quickly did he get it to Mel? Those are the kinds of things that no one but the person doing it has to worry about. But I wanted to get a feel for how they had done it. But you hosted the draft, and I didn't realize this, on the radio for three years. So there must have been that things could that could be more would... different. It could really? be more different. Yes, because you can't see anything on the radio. So on the radio, the moment the pick was made, we started talking immediately. And there was nothing to do but us talk because this, you're not going to hear anything else. Whereas in this case, you know, we're seeing these great, pictures you're seeing the crowd reacting you're seeing um the player himself and his family reacting you're seeing whatever else there is to see so you want to you know you want to let that breathe a little i think you want to let that speak for itself a little bit which on the radio obviously you can't do how will you know that you had the kind of draft that you are hoping to have i think if everyone walks away saying the coverage was really good who hosted it again <laughs> then I will have done my job in all honesty you know that that look I host shows now for 30 years that people are watching or listening to in large part because they are tuning in to hear what I have to say this is the opposite of that 
I'm, I'm facilitating our coverage of the draft. So if everyone feels like, man, the coverage is really good. I got everything I wanted. Lewis was awesome. Booger was awesome. Mel was awesome. Everything was great. I, I feel so, I feel like I know everything that happened tonight. I feel like I understand why it was important, what mattered, all that stuff. And they don't even remember who was sitting in the middle of it all. Then I think I will have done a good job. And will it be hard for you as a Jets fan to watch what they're doing and continue to be Greeny, the draft host, as opposed to Greeny, the Jets fan? It will not. I mean, uh, first of all, it's it's been made incredibly easy because we all know what they're doing at the very top. You told me a long time ago what they're doing at number two. Um, Second of all, to, to the previous point, like I know people aren't tuning in for that. Look, I suppose if the world should stop turning on its axis and somehow the Jets don't take Zach Wilson at number two, it will be very difficult for me to not say something, um, depending on what it is that they do. But I'm not expecting that. And I'm reading your face. I further don't expect that. So, <laughs> so huh? I mean, when you told me on Get Up that you texted Zach Wilson, welcome to New York, that pretty much was the end of that. So I did. Uh, but no, <laughs> it, 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 you did. You said it on the show. So, um, so, so I'm not expecting that. Let me tell you one quick story. When people ask me my most memorable story from the draft, the 2004 draft, which is the Eli Philip Rivers, they get traded yeah. for each other early draft. As you'll recall, everyone didn't know for sure exactly what was going to happen. Like we knew that Eli didn't want to go there. All this, we knew that all this stuff was in play, but it wasn't quite clear what was going to happen. So this is at Radio City Music Hall. Mike and I are sitting down we're sitting just in regular seats like like if, if anyone's ever been to radio city it's literally like seats you might be sitting in to watch a concert yeah. and we're just sitting there and we've got a crew of about four or five people and the the the, the chargers take eli and the giants take rivers at four and then all of a sudden there's this commotion in the corner of the stage and it's not quite clear what's happening but you can tell something is going on and like a little bit of a murmur goes up in the room but again this is pre-twitter pre-anything like that so no one really knows what's happening at least i didn't know what was happening we had a producer named dave who was a large fellow i mean big and he stands up directly in front of me because he's trying to see what's going on i'm sitting one row behind him with headsets the cord is not long enough for me to stand up. So I can't stand up. So I can't see. And I'm trying desperately to get his attention to say, get the hell out of my way, because I'm trying to see what's going on on the stage up there. Tagliabue is up there. He's talking to someone. I can't tell. And so that whole thing happened and I didn't see any of it. There was like all this mayhem. I've now subsequently seen it on TV, you know, in the replays. And you see all the stuff that's going on. And Eli is standing up there wearing a different hat. And all this is happening. And I did not see any of it because a producer named Dave stood in front of me and blocked my view of it literally the entire time. That <laughs> is my most my most vivid memory of hosting the 2004 draft. And that was at the moment that Eli Manning became a New York Giant. Correct. I missed it. Eli, man, and not, not only did I miss it, but subsequently the entire audience listening to ESPN radio missed it because I didn't see it and I didn't know what had happened. And Golick, who was, who was represented when Mike was a player, he was represented by Tom Condon, yep. who represents the Mannings, right? Do I have that yep. right? Yeah, so, so Mike was trying to find out what happened. So he like jumped off the headset to go run over to Tom Condon, 
to try and find out what was happening, like sort of in the moment. So I'm completely by myself sitting down. There's no one else on the mic but me. And I can't see what's happening on the stage. And I can tell that something huge is going on and I don't know what it is. Hmm. That was the longest four minutes of my life. You know, what's interesting about you telling the story. And I remember that. And the draft is about hope and optimism, ultimately, for each of the one of these teams and for the individuals that are being drafted. And and as you're telling all these stories, I flash back to all the moments that I've had covering the draft. You bring up Radio City Musical, and I remember being in the Rockettes locker room. And I remember walking down the street with Mel Kuyper and going to this pizzeria next to the Sheridan on 7th Avenue after we got done with the draft on a Friday night for a slice of pizza at midnight. And I remember being in Chicago when it was freezing cold that Saturday to where they had to move the draft in. And I know that you're the third host of the draft, but what people forget that year is on Saturday, it got so cold and so windy as we were outside on the outside set that they had to move us in. And I hosted a few picks in the fifth or sixth round when the Baltimore Ravens drafted Keenan Reynolds, a wide receiver from Navy. And so I am one of the four hosts that have gotten to host <laughs> the NFL draft for ESPN because Let's be frank, ESPN with its draft host is a lot like the Pittsburgh Steelers with head coaches. The Steelers have had Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, three head coaches since 1969. We've had three NFL draft hosts for however long this has gone on. Chris Berman, Trey Wingo, and you. But people forget that I slipped in there for a few picks in the sixth round of the draft in Chicago because it was that cold outside. There are so many moments as you're talking about this that come back to me because that's what the draft is over and over and over. And it's incredible. And there's so much drama and there's so much suspense and there will be next week. Although it feels like when the 49ers traded up, I know that there's still intrigue about their pick. I felt like a little bit of the drama when now the draft, we know it's going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And then we see what everybody else does. That's the point. So, and then what it's the end, then what that is fascinating. And I hope that people, are as interested in these other players as they are in the quarterbacks. I always say, I've been saying on the air forever, these drafts are defined by the quarterbacks. And you're right. If, if they really do go one, two, three, four, um, and then the fifth one who... I don't know if they're going four. Well, that's what I mean. So, so long as they don't go four, if Atlanta doesn't take a quarterback or trade to someone who takes a quarterback, then we keep some intrigue in for a while, right? Because now everyone is waiting, we'll be waiting... I will be waiting for someone to say in my ear, go to Shefty, there's been a trade, right? We're waiting at that point for who is it that's going to trade up to take one of the two guys that fall. And, and from what you've told me, I should expect those two to be Trey Lance and Justin Fields. And then we start waiting to see. And is it going to be Belichick who's coming up to get him? Is it going to be, does somehow Chicago figure out a way to come up and get him with his quarterback desperate as they are, but they have so far to come does Denver come up to get him? Well, although that's when I think the real intrigue will come. And once it isn't about the quarterbacks anymore, regardless of how early that is, you know, I've studied all these players now for the last seven weeks. So there are so many good players out there. There are so many offensive difference makers between Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. And there are others too, Kadarius, Tony, Terrace, Marshall, Eli, uh, Eli um, Moore, Elijah Moore, there's a ton of really good receivers. The running backs, I think, are interesting because they're very famous. You know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, while some will downplay the significance of running backs, 
you know, they're two guys who we've seen on the biggest of stages for year after year be super productive. So I think a lot of fans are interested to see where they go. And then the stuff that really matters, which is who's going to take the linemen, including my guy, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. We're going to have my alma mater is going to have two players drafted in the first round between him and Greg Newsom, the corner. So I'm selfishly thrilled for that. We haven't had a player taken in round one in 16 years. Wow. So there'll be plenty of intrigue left for me. I hope that I hope that the fans will remain, you know, intrigued by it, even if the quarterbacks do go off the board real fast. Who was the last Northwestern player to go in round one 16 years ago? Luis Castillo, 2005. Oh, good player. Defensive tackle. Went to the San Diego Chargers at that point in time. Correct. That's exactly right. What a memory you have. And that tells you how much the draft has changed. You know what? It's funny. I can't remember a lot of things, but I can remember where players went to college, what rounds they went in in the draft. That's the kind of thing that sticks to your memory. I always say this. Coaches remember plays. Reporters remember stories. But I also remember draft nuggets, like where guys went to school, what rounds they went in, the circumstances surrounding that selection. It's kind of weird how that kind of stuff stays with you. Greeny, you mentioned 25 years at ESPN. 25 years. Could you ever have imagined that it would last that long and go the way that it has? No, in August, it'll be 25 years. And, um, you know, no, I came to ESPN with one intention and one intention only. I was working in Chicago locally. I loved it. I was at a a small channel called uh, Chicago Land TV, CLTV, which is like a 24-hour local cable news channel. Um, People in New York would know it's sort of the, the, the Chicago equivalent of New York News 1. Uh, There were these channels, News Channel 12, those kinds of things. Chicago had one for years. I was doing sports there. And my goal at that time was to become one of the anchors on one of the big network stations in Chicago. So when ESPN offered me the job as an anchor on ESPN News, I thought I'll come, I'll do that for a couple of years. I'll get a ton of experience. It'll it'll boost my resume. Mm -hmm. And I'll have the credibility to go back to Chicago and and be the the sports anchor on Channel 7 or Channel 2. Mm -hmm. Channel 5 in Chicago, which are the three big O&Os. And that would be my life. And, and that was absolutely what I wanted. I would never have dreamt that things would turn out the way that they have. They offered me this radio show. I turned it down immediately. Um, I had to get talked into doing it, which shows wow. you how stupid I am. Wow. Um, so, And then just one thing kept on leading to another. So the, the two years that I was planning to be here have turned into now almost 25. And hopefully I'm just getting started. I, I'm, I'm, I'm as happy doing right now what I'm doing as I have been at any point here or anywhere else. 25 years. Will you commemorate it in any way? Are they going to give you like Mickey Mouse years, you know, like a Mickey Mouse cake or something like that? Probably. I mean, right. They give you stuff at different. <laughs> how many years are you about 15 now? I remember when you started. I, I what actually, I'm 12. I'm 2009. Oh, nine. I remember that. Yes, I remember. Should, should I tell the story with the audience? Tell, I know the story. Go ahead. I know. Yeah. I think I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. We, we met through a, mu- a mutual friend who arranged a dinner. Oh, for, yeah. I think four couples of which you were one and I was enough. You, you and your wife and, and Stacy and I. And we go and we were not seated next to each other. So my wife was seated next to your wife. And, and, yes. and it's a pretty big table because there were eight people. So they're far enough away. This was very shortly, I will always remember when it was, because it was shortly after my wife's husband, excuse me, my wife's father had died. So she was still kind of emotional about that. And all of a sudden, I look up, we're having dinner, and my wife Stacy is bawling. She's crying hysterically. 
And I thought, oh no, what has happened? And as it turns out, that was when she had learned, she had found out the story of what turned into your book, The Man I Never Knew, um, about you know the history between your wife and her husband who died at 9-11 and all the rest of that. And she, because she was sort of emotional from that, is just hysterical crying on the other end of the table. And that was the night that you and I met. That was the night we met, because I thought you were going to go in a different direction. Here's what I remember. I remember getting to ESPN in August of 2019, and you'd have somebody give you your schedule for the next day, and on my schedule the next day is to do Mike and Mike, and I pop on the radio for the very first time, a show I've always listened to, I've always admired, I've always respected, and it's a big thrill to be on there, and you said, uh, Adam Schefter joining us, uh, do we have a nickname for you? And I said, <laughs> I, 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 you know, they call me a lot of different things in college. They called me, uh, when I was at NFL Network, they called me Sheffy. Sheffy was my nickname. And in college, they called me Shep Neck after Greg Skrepnek, the Michigan offensive tackle that went there. And I was always trying to do a story on him and they called me Shep Neck. And then you said, oh, we're going to call you Shefty. And I was like, okay, fine. No problem. Well, the next thing you know, I'm walking down the halls of ESPN, passing people I've never met. They go, what's up, Shefty? Hey, Shefty. Hey, Shefty. <laughs> and Shefty has stuck all these years later. I had no idea the power of Greeny on the radio show of you bestowing a nickname to me at that moment. If I had known, I would have given it a lot more thought, but I didn't know that that nickname would supplant every other nickname that I've been given over the years and it would come from your radio show. I think Shefty is better than Sheffy. Just myself. There's something about Sheffy that I don't sounds like a, Sheffy sounds like a French poodle. It, it, it's something right. It doesn't sound like Shefty, which sounds like exactly what you are. Like you were born <laughs> to be a Shefty. And the other thing I remember is when Notre Dame ultimately hired Brian Kelly. Yeah. You were working on that story and Mike was working on that. You know, I was trying to help you work on the story, whatever oh, it is. You were doing the SportsCenter at SportsCenter. We Center. were doing SportsCenter in the evening and you guys were working on it. And he got some kind of note. I forget what it was, but he just looked up and he goes, where the hell is Shefty? And we just started <laughs> to laugh hysterically. And that became like an inside... So we just uh, literally anytime you were coming on, we would say, where the hell is Shefty? So even to this day, sometimes it comes out of my mouth. That's however long that is. He's been there 10 years, 11, however long it is. So but for that long, every time I hear your name, what I want to say, where the hell is Shefty? Just because it's something that became very ingrained, it would not make sense to almost anyone else. Well, it's an honor to get to work with you all this time. It's an honor to be your friend. I look forward to seeing you in Cleveland and getting to work together on the same team there, covering the NFL draft for ESPN as you become the fourth ESPN draft host in ESPN history following Chris Berman, Trey Wingo, and myself. Uh, thank you. That's exactly right. Those picks you did. <laughs> and if, from what I'm told, if Mel really does this whole thing without a bathroom break, he, it's I'm true. telling you right now, I don't. So you may have to <laughs> run up there in a pinch and do a couple of quick picks at some point, depending <laughs> on how much tea I need for my throat. Because there's no way in the world I'm going through this whole thing without a bathroom break. Literally Mel, no chance. Mel Kuyper has never gone to the bathroom during an ESPN NFL draft. And we'll leave it on that. Greeny, I really appreciate taking the time on short notice today. We'll yeah. see you in Cleveland. Thank you again, my friend. Always a pleasure, Shefty. Thanks, my man. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you 
to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And I know Mike Greenberg is going to do a great job on the draft because there are not many people on TV today who are better quarterbacks, better air traffic controllers, have a better feel for the moment, better institutional knowledge than somebody who has worked at ESPN for 25 years after getting his training at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University, a fine institution that was, if I don't say so myself. This past week also marked a time where we continue to see the endless scrutiny that occurs on these college prospects leading into the college draft. The latest incident came from Trevor Lawrence when basically he talked to the Sports Illustrated writer, Michael Rosenberg, a great writer, a man who assisted me writing my book, The Man I Never Met. Michael's a tremendous writer, and he wrote about Trevor Lawrence in the most recent issue of Sports Illustrated Online. Excellent article. And really Trevor Lawrence, and really Trevor Lawrence espoused a well-balanced, grounded approach to his football career. He didn't talk about how he had to win Super Bowls to define him, how he had to win at all costs, the way we hear some of our football heroes speak in other ways. And some people were offended. In fact, Trevor Lawrence obviously heard enough criticism that he felt the need to go to social media to respond to the quotes that he gave to Michael Rosenberg, which was crazy to me. And all it really did uh, was show how thoughtful and mature Trevor Lawrence is. We had him on this podcast back at the end of the year in 2020, in December. And here's somebody that at his age, with his success, handled himself remarkably well. And that came across in that article with a well-balanced view of the world. And we'll see how that attitude holds up in Jacksonville once he's made the number one overall pick next week. But Trevor Lawrence is ready for the next challenge in his career. He's got the right mindset. And I would not take too much into his comments. In fact, one general manager called me on Monday and said, we go too far with these players. We pick them apart too much medically, psychologically, physically, mentally. But that's what this whole process is leading up to the draft. And it's accentuated by the fact that we're coming off a year in which some players opted out. None of the players went to a combine because there was no combine. There's fewer personal interactions between the players and staff. And so the scrutiny gets amplified even more. And it's always ridiculous at this time of the year. That's what this time of the year is about. It's picking apart these players before they achieve the next step in their football dreams and going on to a football career. The one GM that called me said he felt bad for the players, but we both agreed. It's a part of the process. Don't love it. Don't like it. But it's a necessary evil that comes along with it that everybody is looking forward to seeing it come to its conclusion next weekend in Cleveland when Mike Greenberg will be hosting the 
draft on ESPN. And I want to thank my guest on this week's podcast, Mike Greenberg, for his time. Last minute's notice, my producer, Christina Buswell, and I were supposed to have on a couple of other different guests who we are hoping to have on next week in preparation for the NFL draft. The interviews took a little longer than we would have liked to come together. And so we turned to Greeny at the last moment and Greeny provided some excellent insight and information about the upcoming draft. I want to thank my great producer, the aforementioned Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this all together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we expect to have more guests or a guest that is relevant to the NFL draft, somebody you'll want to tune in to hear. And until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.